Previously on Rogue Life. Is it just me or does the impending doom creep more and more quickly with each loop? <laughs> Mayhem. about to get trampled by an angry mob, like we're at Target on Black Friday. <laughs> and good day to you, Mr. Bowers, Miss Larkin. I am 98.6% sure that is the sanctuary of this loop. We should be safe there. The door is barred. What are we supposed to do? Well... When God closes a door, he... Come on, jump in! All right, let us start from the beginning of the story. I am not one to typically subscribe to watching films, but have you ever seen one of those films where a mystical artifact could save or end all life as we know it? Well, that is pretty much my life. My name is James Peterson. I have spent the better part of three years observing and documenting the Valhalla phenomenon, and it is my mission to see that we are able to harness its power. For now, I need to convince these two of the importance of the mission and hope, for the sake of mankind, that they are willing to help me. Rogue Life, Episode 8, The Gates of Valhalla. Okay, Jen. I hope that you are catching this. We have never been able to see inside the sanctuary before, but our hypothesis was right. Things have stabilized. Make sure to record my monitor for Mr. Newsom. I will try to give some audio clues on what is happening in case something goes wrong with the video. Um, hello? Who, who are you talking to? What's going on? I am here, sitting in a bombed-out church in the middle of the London Blitz in World War II. Strangely, we were chased here by what seemed to be zombies. Finally, I have been able to get the two final subjects, Mr. Bowers, and Miss Larkin here with me in the sanctuary. I am not sure how long we will be in the clear. Nothing is clear here. Also, I guess you're just pretending like we don't hear you. Okay. Mr. Bowers is here sitting across from me just outside a confessional booth. Miss Larkin is pacing back and forth between the pews, looking furtively at all the windows. How do you know my name? I mean, my real name? Also, furtive looks? Okay, should I just explode this guy, Benny? I might if you don't. It should be noted for the record that, amazingly, these two have done so well for themselves armed with such little knowledge. They have not retained as much as we had hoped. But Mr. Newsom should increase the stipends that we are providing to their families due to their resilience and cooperation. Okay, enough of this. You think you should talk. I think you should talk. 
So, well, talk. <sighs> no need to point that crossbow at me, Mr. Bowers. My name is James Peterson, and I work for Rencor. Well, of course you do. Lousy night vision goggles. You'd think this place would account for the battery level on these things. Anyway, yeah, you work for Rencorp. I work in the legal department for Rencorp. Heck, if you tracked things closely, Ronald freaking McDonald probably works for Rencorp. Yes, but I work directly under Richard Newsom himself, researching different paranormal phenomena across the world. I'm pretty sure that Mr. Newsom is just a folktale told by budding CEOs to their junior executives. He's notoriously private and refuses to even be seen in public. Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that say that he's just like a talking computer screen. Like some real HAL 2001 stuff here. I assure you that Mr. Newsom is real, Mr. Bowers. You see, Mr. Newsom has always been obsessed with the paranormal and he dedicates millions every year to researching folktales around the world and finding if there is any sort of credence to them. I am part of a team that he has had researching specific lore in Western Europe. My specific team was to focus on Norse mythology. While I can definitively say that Thor, Loki, Odin, and the like are very much works of fiction, there is one thing that has some truth to it. Valhalla. Wait, Valhalla? Benny, scoot over. You mentioned that at the Kung Fu match, and I had a robot companion say something about it. What is it? First, a little background on how we discovered Valhalla. There is a small town about 50 miles north of Lillehammer in Norway called Sojorn, where an interesting twist to the legend of Valhalla exists. Locals there insist that a nearby mountain contained the gates to Valhalla. They claim that those that have sought Valhalla have never returned. Of course, that seems to most to simply be due to the unlivable terrain and constant snowstorms of the area. But Mr. Newsom took a personal interest in the tales and dispatched my team to the mountains to explore. Mysterious expeditions, a bit Indiana Jones. I like it. I like it. After around three months of searching, we found a small cavern opening that was emitting a huge amount of radiation. After taking appropriate precautions and suiting up, we entered the cavern and found that it opened into a large space around 150 yards in all directions. Ice had built up around the outer edges of the cavern, but in the center, it was sweltering at least 120 degrees. Now, I'm no Bill Nye, but the science doesn't exactly seem to add up here, right? Of course not. That is why it was so interesting. I pointed my flashlight at the source of the heat and found a metallic sphere, about eight inches across, floating three feet off the ground. The sphere had strange markings in a language that none of my team could decipher. The strangest part of all this, however, was what was happening above the sphere. There, about six feet off the ground, were about 20 bodies hovering, straight up and down, almost like they were asleep, standing up. More than a little creepy. The more that we observed the bodies, the stranger things got. The bodies themselves were in perfect shape and seemed to be full of life, perfectly healthy and breathing. Were it not for the fact that they were floating in the air, it would seem as though they were just healthy people sleeping. They did not seem to react to any external stimuli like sound or even being touched. 
they also strangely had no sign of the radiation from the sphere. Ah, oh, jeez! Oh, that one actually breached the ceiling. I'm getting major, unexploded Stark Industries vibes here. Maybe hurry this up, Mr. Peterson. One of my colleagues, Janet, went to carefully collect the sphere. Even with the radiation suit and a bevy of safety precautions, something strange happened as she got within a few inches of it. She let out a scream as her body flashed with a sudden light. Her body went limp, then also floated upward, joining the twenty bodies above her. Janet, it should be noted, is someone that the two of you have met. Young woman in her thirties, blonde hair and green eyes with a scar just above her left eye. Wait, her? Janet was in a hazmat suit, which isn't exactly standard attire, so it made me think to look more closely at the clothing on the bodies. Interestingly, the clothing itself was from different eras. Most looked distinctly Viking, but there were some that looked turn of the century, and some that even seemed to be modern spelunkers who just happened to stumble into the cave while exploring. Although all the bodies were perfectly preserved, the clothing all seemed to have aged appropriately, showing that those bodies were actually likely people from those eras. Either that or Fashion Week in Milan is getting really weird. As we reported back to Mr. Newsom, he was obviously ecstatic at our discoveries, and despite what happened to Janet, he insisted that we try to bring the orb back to the States. My colleagues and I designed a box that could hermetically seal around what seemed to be some sort of gravity barrier around the orb and safely transport it. <laughs> Somehow I doubt that safety was exactly the corporate priority here. I've seen some of the lawsuits against Rencorp after all. Luckily, as we moved the orb, the bodies seemed to be undisturbed, and although we were not able to move the bodies ourselves despite some effort, they seemed to remain healthy even as we took the orb out of the cave. I left a small team in Soyorn to monitor the bodies in the cavern and returned with the orb to San Jose at Mr. Newsom's orders. As we continued to investigate the orb, we found that in addition to the radiation, it also emitted a strange signal. After much trial and error, we were able to tap into the signal and surprisingly found that it output 21 different channels of information. We were able to isolate these channels and create video feeds from each. The videos showed us what seemed to be first-person views of a small town in 8th century Norway. The citizens of the town matched the exact bodies that we discovered in the cavern. So, what? Is this like an animus-type thing? Nobody understands half the things you say, Benny. Hey! Assassin's Creed has sold over 155 million copies. Don't make me seem like I'm a weirdo here. <sighs> These people all seem to just be living a peaceful life in this little town, interacting with each other as you would expect. Standard commerce in the marketplace, small talk about the weather, everything felt just like an idyllic small village. As we began to isolate the audio, things got a bit stranger. Every feed seemed to be naturally tuned to the language of the owner of the feed. As we found Janet's feed, everything was in English, but there were also feeds in Norwegian, Icelandic, Russian, and one in a language that none of us had ever heard before. I'm calling it now, Aliens. Given the nature of how we found the orb, we named it Valhalla, finding it to be thematically appropriate for the little slice of Norwegian heaven. 
As we observed Janet, it was clear that she was unaware of the situation that brought her there, or of any reality outside of her having lived in this small town her entire life. Whatever Valhalla had done, it seemed to fight any sort of outside influence. We tried to find ways to send messages in to get through to Janet, but nothing seemed to work. That said, the more information we tried to send, the more that it seemed Valhalla was learning from us at the same time. Suddenly, the village inside of Valhalla had started to expand. For the first time, we began to see animals in the village. It started with what you might find thematically appropriate – chickens, cats, dogs. But then it started to get strange. A kangaroo, some macaws, giant beetles the size of your head. One day, Janet walked outside of her hut and found an elephant wearing a top hat. The elephant took the top hat in its trunk and bowed deeply to her as it said, How do you do? Janet was unfazed and acted as if it was still a typical day. <laughs> Tuesdays, am I right? Shush. While we closely watched Valhalla in San Jose, my team in Soyorn had found some fascinating discoveries with the bodies. Not only were they all healthy and alive, but they were perfectly healthy. They seemed to not need nutrition at all. There were no scrapes or bruises on the outside of the bodies, and anything that the team did to take blood or tissue samples seemed to magically knit itself back together. As we ran x-rays and tests in the cavern, we found that the inside of the bodies also performed perfectly, not as much as an ulcer to be found in any of them. I do not think that you can grasp exactly what this means, Mr. Bowers. Four months before entering Valhalla, Janet had been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. The cancer was nowhere to be found in her body. Do you honestly expect us to believe that you found a cure for cancer? Believe whatever you will, Miss Larkin. But if there is any sort of chance of it being true, shouldn't we do everything that we can to explore the possibilities? It means that Valhalla might mean the cure to all sicknesses. It could mean the end to all suffering. Valhalla? might just mean immortality. Mr. Newsom immediately saw the potential of the situation. Of course, we also knew that immortality at the cost of forgetting everything you know and love is not exactly the heaven that we are looking for. Additionally, as charming as Norway and talking elephants are, it might not fit the eternity that everyone expects or wants. So, we began to experiment deeper. Look, I get it. It's new, it's different, you want to figure out how to make money off of it. But how about not trying to mess with things that are obviously dangerous? There is too much at stake here, Miss Larkin. Mr. Newsom authorized us to take every available resource to investigate this phenomenon. We started by feeding more information to Valhalla, playing things on screens and sounds like mad all around the orb. We tried throwing out everything that we thought people could ever want. Soon. There was an ice cream parlor in the village, a trampoline park, and go-karts. Although we could not determine what Valhalla would add, we could influence how it might create the world by feeding it everything that we thought heaven could possibly be. Eventually, however, we started running out of ideal scenarios. Additionally, the citizens of the village continued to act as if all the amazing inventions Valhalla created were run-of-the-mill, par for the course. Then we decided to open it up to everything, allow Valhalla to craft its world according to all of the human experience in the World Wide Web, 
allowing the citizens to experience the full breadth of life to better appreciate the joys of it. That's probably not a smart move then. Sure, let's open up some sort of magical, crazy device to the opinions of the internet, Mr. Peterson. Oh my gosh, and things it would learn from YouTube comments alone. Wait, wait, wait. It did not go as badly as you expect. Sure, some bad things started to happen, but the citizens still treated it as tedium. The Wicked Witch of the West came in and burned the city to the ground while shouting, How about a little fire, Scarecrow? No reaction. They just rebuilt the city as if nothing happened. A citizen was literally ripped in two by a giant mechanical Hitler. The town pushed the two sides of the citizen back together, and they continued with their day. Nothing affected them. Then how in the ever-loving hell do Lauren and I keep dying? Ah! Whew. Sorry. <sighs> Cracked the wall a bit there. Got carried away. <sighs> Look. Mr. Peterson. No one was able to get my head back on when the ghosts of Christmas present popped it like a zit. Ah. Your circumstances in Valhalla are a bit... different. You see, when we realized that we could not get any reactions from the village folk, and despite the Soyon team's efforts, we could not free those that were in Valhalla back to their bodies, so we changed tactics. The goal moved to find a way to keep your memories when you entered. This meant, unfortunately, a few more test subjects entering Valhalla. A few? There are hundreds of people stuck in here! Now, do not exaggerate there, Miss Larkin. There are 156 people currently in Valhalla. Well, 157 if you include me. Many of these people are Rencor employees, and knew fully well the risks involved. There was paperwork. Wait, then how is it that we are the only ones that actually know about the world outside? And how is it that you seemingly remember more than we do? We tried everything that we could to try to counteract whatever it was that Valhalla was doing to erase memories. We tried injecting people with chemicals before sending them in, but the chemicals would just be cleansed from the body by Valhalla. We tried changing the outfits of participants, but we should have known from Janet's hazmat suit that it would not make a difference. We tried sending animals in, but Valhalla would not take them. We even tried a robot to no avail. So we began to try reaching outside of science. You know, the brain is fascinating. It always stores so much data, but the problem just comes in accessing it. Think about how much you have read, watched, and ever done over the course of your life. There is no way that you could grab every little piece of it whenever you wanted. So we thought about how people go about finding memories that seem hidden. Hypnosis. Oh, come on, hypnosis? A guy with a bad mustache telling me that I'm getting very sleepy while he spins a yo-yo? There's a lot more to it than you might think, Miss Larkin. And when you are talking about curing cancer, I personally think that even someone who calls themselves Milo the Magnificent might be useful. Do not think that we had not tried every other avenue possible before it. And hey, just look at yourselves. It worked. Wait, hold it. 
I thought that you can't communicate with people here. How did you get the hypnosis to, you know, do anything? I am proud of that one, actually. We had you go under hypnosis before you entered Valhalla and set you up with a code word to awaken your memories. Then, once you were in, we spammed the code word millions of times, sending it into Valhalla with hopes that Valhalla would have no choice but to implement it somehow in a way that you'll notice. Your code word, Mr. Bowers, was applesauce. Miss Larkin, yours was hammock. Mine was, probably unsurprising given the events of the past 24 hours, mayhem. You son of a- The team may have gone a bit overboard in putting it into the system. We had no idea how strongly it would affect things. Valhalla reacted strangely to the outside influence of your memories, however, and it started to feel a need to purge you from the system. Think of it as a simple computer program. As long as a computer program can stick with expected behaviors, it is able to hold everything together. However, when unexpected variables come into play that do not follow the rules of Valhalla has set up, the system will crash. When Miss Larkin was in here alone, we found that the system would put up with her variables for up to 24 hours. As those days came close to ending, it would send in thematically appropriate elements to cut her out, which would reboot the system. When Mr. Bowers was added, that time was cut to around four hours. Now, with me, I would assume that we have significantly less, especially now that I am, well, a real boy and starting to act very much against Valhalla's designs. This means that time is of the essence. We need to work together to find out how we can restore memories to all of Valhalla citizens and how to get all of our consciousnesses to our bodies. If we can find a way to freely enter and exit Valhalla, mankind will be changed forever. <laughs> Whoa there, you've got the wrong guy for all this. I mean, sure, Lauren, Lauren is great, but what do you expect me to do? Speedrun Mario Brothers 3 until Valhalla gives up? <laughs> Come on now, I can't do anything for you. Actually, Benny, I think you can. I've remembered some things, how we got in here, what we're supposed to do. I know your place in all of this, and you did too. In fact, I think that's exactly why you volunteered. Rogue Life is written by Brady Flanagan and John Crowder. Directed and edited by Brady Flanagan. Original music by Brady Flanagan and Willis Kramer. Starring Brady Flanagan, Megan Sticht, Anthony Lovato, Michelle Gardner, John Crowder, Jason Wilde, Bob Bedore, Casey Wayman, Kevin Buckner, Melinda Yeaman, Caleb Berger, Becky Haney, Tyler Clausen, Tony Soriano, Brooks Bedore, narrated by Sarah Swenson and Nick Tanner, sound effects by Shalice Craig, art by Blake Haywood, beta readers Mary Knowles, John Marucci, and Matt Foley, story consultants. Stephen Bradford and Kevin Buckner. 
next time on Rogue Life. Now that our heroes know what is happening, it's time for a plan, and Lorne has an idea what to do. In Episode 9, Decree. <laughs>